Welcome to Intimacy Play, a podcast by Pleasy Play. We host open discussions with world-leading experts on couples, sex, and intimacy, so you can build a more exciting, fun, and intimate relationship. I'm your host, Michaela Silva. Hello, everyone. And today we have a very special guest with us. Today I'm talking to Lucy Rowett, a clinical sexologist and sex, intimacy, and relationship coach. How are you, Lucy? I am good. How are you, Anna? Just to start our conversation, would it be okay for you to tell us how you became a sexologist and a certified sex coach and why? So um, I need to do a, my own podcast episode on this because it's quite, it's a long story and an interesting story. And I would say that anybody who comes to do sexuality work, whether you're a therapist, a coach, a sex worker, or anything to do with sexuality, we, we don't necessarily come to this field of work from kind of a, I say ordinary life or a normal life. We all come to it from a very unique set of circumstances. Um, for mine, it was one of the catalysts was chronic illness and ill health. And as I was rebuilding my health and had going on a long relationship with my own healing. So, you know, I come from evangelical Christianity and there was, it was a very long healing and recovery journey. It was discovering well, what is it that I really want to do with my life? Because when you, I felt like I was very much starting from ground zero and if it's, well, if I could do anything I wanted in my life, what would I do? Well, I'm really interested in this. And so I met the people who trained me, uh, uh, Dr. Patty and Dr. Robert, uh, about 2015, I think. And I have a very gung-ho personality where it's like, okay, I'll do it. I'll give it a go. Um, and it's, it, that's, that's what, uh, catapulted it, I guess. And, um, it's something I love networking with other sexuality professionals and it's just given me so much passion and love for this work. And, now I'm at this, you know, I've always been the kind of person to let your freak flag fly where I can care a lot what people think and then not. So long story short, I wanted to do something I was very passionate about and I thought, why not? And I had a lot of input and that's how I came to train and do the work that I do now. And it's a very interesting field in terms of the people you meet. We're all very, I think sexologists and sexuality professionals are just so cool. Oh, for sure. There's so much wisdom and fun and knowledge and experience and life experience. So it's one of my passions to bring that to the world. I love it. But so I understand this journey. Do you think that you went into this profession for yourself because you also wanted to explore your own intimacy uh, to be to feel better about yourself? Or is it about others and about helping others or both? It was both because I think... And, for all of us who, I say, do this work, and it doesn't matter whether you work with sexuality or not, for most people who work as therapists or any kind of helping professional, therapy, coaching, practitioner, we all start this journey from our own personal pain. And I'm absolutely not unique to that. You know, growing up within the church, I had a lot of shame around sexuality. And so I think whenever you do something you're really passionate about, there's always that element of I'm partly doing it for myself. And we're doing it for other people as, pe people as well. I don't think anything is truly selfless. And there's something that you always receive personally from every professional training you do. And I learned from every training I've done since then and working with clients, you know, I get as much from it for myself as I do with my clients. And that's kind of how it works. For sure. You touched on a point very interesting that 
couple of years ago, I heard somebody tell me, you know, nothing you do is uh, for others, it's for yourself. Even when you mm. help somebody, like a charity, you're doing yeah. it because you feel good about yourself that are actually mm -hmm. helping somebody else. So I think that was a, a good point. It is. And it's, you know, I don't want to pretend like to be a saint and be like, oh, I just felt this calling to sacrifice myself for other people. And, you know, I definitely do feel this calling. I love helping people. I love working with people. But to then present this image, which I guess a lot of therapists and coaches can present in their marketing that I was just so fascinated about it and I was doing it for other people. What we always do it as an element for ourselves. And if we didn't have, I say, a foot in the game, that's a really interesting expression. If we did not have our own personal pain and resonance with it, we wouldn't do it. You know, if I was just as passionate about carpentry because carpentry had absolutely transformed my life and I'm not, I'm not uh, shitting on carpentry, or if I was just as passionate about cross-stitch or guinea pigs, I am passionate about guinea pigs because <laughs> guinea pigs have changed my life, then I'd go into working with guinea pigs. It's a very similar field and um at the same time you learn I definitely learn a lot about myself as a person and as a profession as I have grown and progressed through this field and there's another myth that every sex coach and sexuality professional feels that well because I work with this I shouldn't have any of my own stuff going on and that's another very humbling lesson and I, it's a certain shame that I see a lot of sexuality professionals, coaches, therapists, practitioners feeling is that I can't talk to anyone about my own personal sexual relationship concerns because, well, I should, I should know this. I teach other people this. And that was something I carried for a while until I networked and met other people. And it's like, actually, every issue that I have, everything that I have that's a problem and I work through it, it means I'm just better equipped to help clients with that because I'm not sitting on a pedestal being like I'm in a state of orgasmic bliss and my life's perfect. No, nobody is. I'm still absolutely practicing what I teach and it's a, it's a spiral. It's something I have to keep working with myself. I'm sure you wish you were in an orgasmic bliss forever. <laughs> Maybe. I, mean, I, think I'd get, I think I'd get tired after a while. <laughs> Orgasms are wonderful. And then it's like, I I also want to wrap myself in a blanket and, and eat nap. chocolate. Yeah, nap. <laughs> exactly. For sure. Um, when you were talking about your journey, you talked about uh, religion and how that actually shaped you. Is it okay if we talk about that? So what type of problems can religion bring and arise uh, within sexuality? I mean, first of all, you, I guess you could define which religion you come from. I, for the moment, I am focusing on like the, the Abrahamic religions, Judeo-Christian religions. I come from Christianity. I grew up in the Church of England. Um, I say grew up in. I didn't literally grow up inside a church, <laughs> but you know, my whole life was my whole life. My whole, all of my family are religious. My father's a lay reader. My grandfather was a vicar. We've church has very much been not just something you do on Sunday. It's been, it's, it's been very much part of our life. And so I, I'm British. I grew up in London. So it was church of England and evangelical Christianity and evangelical Christianity has its very own unique set of sexual hangups, similarly to Catholicism, similarly to any kind of any kind of religion, especially Judeo-Christian, that puts a lot of emphasis on purity or morality. Um, most religions put a lot of emphasis on sexual purity and what that is and what that isn't. They really do not like sexy women 
or erotic women. Sexy men, not as much. And I guess the problems that come from religion and sexuality is if you think about that, if the holy book or somebody's interpretation of the holy book is saying that sexual sin, bad, any kind of sex that's not man, woman inside holy matrimony is bad and you're going to go to hell for that, that is inevitably going to cause a schism inside of your psyche and inside of your body. And I'm very much oversimplifying this because when you spend a lot of time in religious environments, whether you grow up with it or whether you convert as an adult, it's all those micro messages from, if I'm giving the example of Christianity, from the books that you're reading, from the pastors that you're following, all of these little messages from the, you know, in social media, there are so many influencers on social media talking about sexual sin and purity and uh, you know, getting a promise wing, wing ring and waiting until marriage. If you're Catholic, the Catholic uh, the Catholic Church likes to put a hell of a lot of guilt on sexuality. And it's something that if you didn't grow up in a religious environment or have spent immersed in it, you're never really going to understand how much it, it causes that split within your psyche, especially in that most religion and Lord Christianity is very much externalizing your power. So everything good is God, everything bad is the devil. So you learn to not trust your own authority. There's a lot of message on submitting and obeying. It's very patriarchal. So it's like a whole constellation of things that create this very toxic culture that causes women to shut down, for them to be shamed by other people, to police their bodies, to be policed in their bodies and sexual expression. So it's a very big topic that I really am passionate about talking about and exploring because it takes a lot to recover from that. Not just, and the thing about when you're recovering from a religious upbringing and your sexuality, it's not just whether you cognitively don't believe it anymore. It still lives on inside your subconscious and your body. So yeah, there's a lot to explore there. And you think you can achieve a balance between the chosen faith and beliefs in experiencing the joys of sex? Absolutely. And I have loads of friends and colleagues who work within faith communities, um, but it involves having to deconstruct the theology that you've been taught um, because all of the holy books, they have all been interpreted in different ways mostly all of the time by men, men with their own set of sexual hangups and also their own biases and their own, a lot of our interpretation of the Bible comes from men who lived 100, 200, 300 years ago. So they would have been influenced by their time. I, for you to really enjoy sexuality in its fullest expression and keep your faith, you often have to do a big deconstruction of what it is and what you've been taught and the people that I admire working within faith communities, they're saying the Bible or the or whatever, it does not actually say this. It's been misinterpreted and reinterpreted. Actually, Jesus doesn't really care what you do with your genitals, as long as you are not hurting anybody else. So you absolutely can, but it often takes quite a bit of deconstruction. And all reconstruction, there's a lot of, you know, in the Bible you have the book The Song of Songs, which is a very erotic book in the bible but if yes it is if you pick up a bible and read song of songs it is very erotic and very sexy it talks about breasts and lips it's basically like a, a love story or a, 
a bawdy tale between two lovers, but the church has sanitized it. Said, no, it's about Jesus' love for the church. (laughs) (laughs) It's ridiculous. And did you know, my mum told me this a while back, that the reason that clerics, certainly in many cultures where they wear long robes, men wear long robes, it's it's a desexualization. Did not know that. Oh, okay. Sexuality and religion, it goes very, very deep. And it takes a lot of deconstruction to change it about how you feel in your body. I I apologize if I made like a very weird face when you talked about that song, but I am not religious. So I actually believe there's a bigger power than us. And I believe there is a God or whatever we can call it. I don't have a name for it, but that really helps things along. And I believe in faith, but I don't believe in the religion specifically because of all of this, because I do think it's a lot of it is misinterpretations. Absolutely. And even a lot of people of faith will say that faith and spirituality is not the same as thumping somebody over the head with the Bible and telling them they're going to hell. It's, they're not the same thing. And the people of faith or people who I respect and I admire, they're the ones who do not take, they're not fundamentalists. They do not take the Bible absolutely, literally 100%. They have a bigger picture and they Um, my mum is actually a very progressive Christian. My parents are very supportive and I'm very lucky and most of my family is very supportive. And she said that, you know, she had in her own personal faith journey, she had to really reframe that God is love. And that means when God is love, that means that you need to be, if God is love, he is then not trying to send you to hell, which is a very conflicting message Christians experience, which is God loves you, but you're going to hell if you don't believe in him so it sounds like a very abusive relationship doesn't it you know he loves you as long as you believe in him otherwise he's going to condemn you to eternal torture and hell <laughs> you know it, that's not really a foundation and so you know, it's it's less about dogma and more about just loving people interesting especially for somebody that's not very knowledgeable about that i i think that it is hard for some people that i view from the outside you know having mm-hmm so many messages being built into them along the years about faith, about spirituality, about church, whatever it is, and then about sexuality. Mm. And do you think there's a a difference between the way women experience this compared to men? Do you think there's like a gender bias? Oh God, absolutely. So (laughs) is there a gender bias? Of course there is a gender bias within religious communities. And There's a gender bias in the the secular world as well. That's why we have feminism and why we're still fighting in many places for gender equality. Um, Unfortunately, within religious environments, the sexism is sanctioned by the church and the holy book. You know, for people, it's for a long time, women were taught to submit and obey their husbands. And within fundamentalist Christian and religious communities, that still absolutely exists where... um, it's, you know, I think it wasn't until recently that people changed marriage vows that when a woman got married in the church to a man, she promised to obey him, <laughs> you know, and, and that's just one of the little microaggressions in that it's also the way that women are policed for the way that they dress. You know, there's a Christian girl aesthetic in terms of how you dress, where you're not showing your cleavage, you're not really showing your shoulders, not wearing anything too sexy or sensual, look beautiful, but like not like, you know, there's a line that don't look too sexy and don't lead your brothers in Christ on. And, you know, if I think of, for example, 
when I was growing up and one of uh, Vicar gave a sermon and this is when uh, Beyonce brought out her first album. It's 2003 when she brought out Crazy in Love and her first debut single album. And I remember the Vicar saying, how can Beyonce call herself a Christian when she's doing all these sexy music videos and blah, blah, blah. And that's just like one small example of persistent slut shaming within the church and religious communities about what it means. So women end up internalizing that message of, well, I cannot be a holy woman of faith and have that spiritual connection and be sexy and feel my sexuality. So I better just sit on that and squash it down and hope it goes away and just suppress that part of myself. And because that is not the right way, so it's not the right way to suppress either one. So if you if you believe in a certain religion, if that is your faith, I think you should pursue it. But at the same time, I don't think you should ignore your sexuality and also be ashamed by it. I'm sure you have a lot of people with this issue that come to you and need for help. Yes, they do. And one of the biggest shifts that was sort of my entry into the world of sexuality was that I can have both. It's why I, you know, sacred sexuality and tantra were my gateways in that mm. it was this place where I can be, I can have both. I don't have to divorce one from the other and that it's not either or it's not. Um, and actually this either or uh, what's the word contrast is not actually helping me. I can absolutely enjoy my spiritual connection and my faith if I have that and enjoy my sexuality. They can coexist and actually one can enhance the other. Um, there is a really, um, that, so the woman, she was a sex therapist and researcher, uh, Dr. Gina Ogden. Uh, she died two years ago, unfortunately, but in the nineties, she led, I think the largest survey at the time in the USA, uh, on women's experiences of sex and spirit or sex and spirituality. And so that's how she, that was the foundation of her work. Um, she created something called the 4D wheel, which is the four dimensions of sexuality. It used to be called the ISIS wheel had to be changed for obvious reasons because it was integrating sex and spirituality. Couldn't call it ISIS anymore, so she called it the 4D wheel. Um, and there's also um, a book by Jalala, I hope I pronounced it, Jalala Bonheim called Aphrodite's Daughters. And there's all of these accounts, especially in Gina Ogden's work, and there's many others of talking to women about their experiences of the transcendent within sexuality where, you know, it's not just a cliche saying, oh my God, when you come, it's that feeling of, either self-pleasuring or with a partner, that feeling of transcendence and that feeling of connection to something bigger than yourself that's not you know, much bigger than just genitals rubbing together. And you can absolutely, thus it's a portal, it's a gateway. So since this is a common issue that people come to you, yes. do you think that tantric sex, like you suggested, could be a way to start building a bridge on that? It can be. And, you know, I have my own feelings around the world of Tantra. I use a lot of exercises from Tantra and Taoism in my work, but I don't use, I'm not a Tantra teacher because the world of Tantra has its own issues in terms of cultural appropriation and it's kind of cornered the market for spiritual sex. Um, in essence, Tantric sex is kind of very simple. It's just, you know, breathing, eye gazing, prolonging um, connection, touch and there these are all principles that anybody can enjoy and embody without having to put the name tantra on it so they're more about intimacy than sex specifically well this is the thing it depends how you define what is sex hmm. what, how you define what sex is again because sex well must equal penetration penis and vagina 
But if you took penetration off the menu, does that still count as sex? And again, you know, when we are having sex, well, there's a script that we tend to follow, especially if you're heterosexual. But what if you could take that off the menu and just explore touching each other, breathing together, eye gazing, and it could turn to penetration or not, it doesn't have to. So if you take the whole concept of penetration, you leave it to the side, what else could you experience together? And then you realize that you can have all these heightened sensations and connections just from touching or just from breathing or just from exploring touch or doing light touch or heavy touch or I know a lot of people who use BDSM as a spiritual practice. So, you know, exploring power dynamics, um, exploring impact, impact play, and all of these things that you can experience pleasure and connection and transcendence that doesn't necessarily have to be penis inside a vagina, rub a few times and wait for him to come and try very hard for you to come yourself. We're getting now to the juicy bits. I love this. <laughs> yeah, th that's the thing. I mean, for me, for sure, that sex is not uh, just penis and vagina and just penetrative sex because of so many issues. You know, there are so many different types of relationships. And not only that, there's a lot of different sexual experiences that you can have. But I'm not sure I would consider touching somebody sex. Wouldn't that be foreplay? Hmm. I don't know. The thing is, you know, this is when you can get really pedantic. And, you know, you've got some people who say, no, there's no such thing as foreplay. It's all sex. And other people saying, oh, for God's sake, just call it foreplay. You know, I don't want to get too hung up on what word you call it. My mental woman who trained me, Dr. Paddy Britton, I think it was her who created the, the touch continuum in that, you know, there's, there's levels of touch depending on eroticism. So it's kind of the foundation of healing touch, which is when you know, you're giving someone a massage or, you know, that you're cupping them because it hurts. And then you have affectionate touch, which is when you're saying, oh, come here, you're a little cuddle that, you know, we have with your mom. You can have an affectionate touch with your partner, or, you know, nurturing touch when you're just holding them or the way that we hold small children, for example, it's very nurturing, it's very loving. And, da, da, da. and then you have sensual touch, which mm -hmm. is, again, you're, Amping it up just a little bit, but sensual touch. So maybe you're, you can't, this is audio, but I'm touching my <laughs> hands right now. Or you know, you're touching your partner in a way that's more, a little bit more erotic, but it's more just in the senses. And you have erotic touch, which is again, amping it up a little bit more. Or maybe you're focusing more on the erogenous sex. And then you have sexual touch, which may be general contact or not. And you can, it can go up and down with that continuum. It doesn't have to be okay, we're here and now I'm going to immediately put my hands on your genitals and rub and hope for you to come. And it, it's the thinking about that for most, a lot of humans were very under-touched and we don't really play around with touch that much. And I definitely have had ecstatic experiences just from somebody touching my back in the right way and exploring connection through touch. So you can absolutely have that. And humans are hardwired for touch. In many cultures, we do not touch each other enough. Actually, interesting, interesting thought that you were saying about touching your back. I have had experiences where like very simple touches, you, you, you're, you're thinking, wow, how can something so simple be so pleasurable, even if it's mm. not in a sexual way? It could yeah, just be, exactly. in a, I feel good. I like this. It's like well-being. Yeah, I love it. Exactly. But you can open that up. So what I teach my clients often at the beginning is pay attention to pleasurable sensations that aren't just sex. So it's, for example, you know, I love tea. That's my, that's my 
not my fetish. That's my thing. I love tea. So eating chocolate, pay attention to how pleasurable that is to eat the chocolate. Mm. Or, yeah, see? see? Team chocolate. Oh, no, team chocolate. Um, you know, I, I love the work of Barbara Corellis. Um, she wrote, she um, created the book Urban Tantra. And also she wrote a book, another book called Ecstasy is Necessary. And one of them, she talks about, you can all have orgasmic experiences, like an angergasm, when you're so angry that you punch pillows and you go, ah, and there's that kind of release. Um, or a foodgasm, where something is just so delicious that you just go, mmm, get <laughs> <Because> a <it's a> <laughs> sensation. Or you know, for me, I love bedgasms, when you get into bed at the end when you're really, really tired, and you're snuggling and you just go, oh, like, yes, this is what I wanted. Yeah. And so can you amplify that? Can you do more of that? Have more, just pay more attention to pleasurable, spend longer in the shower with the hot water and get the temperature just that you like, or use expensive body cream and cover yourself in it. And maybe suddenly you're covering yourself in it and you suddenly start to turn yourself on or not. It doesn't have to be, this is sex, this isn't. And then you start to put more pleasurable things into your life and realize that you can have all of this fun and pleasure without this means sex now. I'll be right back. I'll try your things right now. Give me one Give second. Give five minutes. <laughs> take yourself somewhere. <laughs> exactly. I was thinking about the hot shower. That sounds so good on my back. Oh, mm, yes. I had a, I had an Epsom salt bath last night and I realized that they have to be my... I, I have them every week, but I need to make them... I need to put it in my calendar and make sure I do have them every week because they are so not just pleasurable but resourcing for me and it's a way that I can be with my body and relax and have hot water and just it's it's and wonderful and it's it's not just self-care the self-care is essential it's pleasure it's resourcing for me I'm thinking how hilarious this episode is going to be because we are seeing each other and it's a different connection <laughs> but I can imagine this just sound mm, ah yes <laughs> somebody took a sound bite of that and god that would be hilarious <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure my parents will love it, but we're all carrying it on. Uh, well, it's funny because it's like, well, Lisa, what are you wearing? I'm actually wearing my leopard print jogging bottoms at the moment. So <laughs> I've got a blanket on my legs. <laughs> but still, mm, hot water. Exactly. Mm, <laughs> but I want I want to get into more practical information. So, you know, all of this that we were talking about, having like a hot shower and enjoying touch, how can we transfer this with a partner? So... Can you give us any tips that you might give your clients or people that you work with? Um, how can I tell my partner that that's something that I want to try? You know, first of all, get out of the shame of, of mm -hmm. saying that maybe. And at the same time, exploring something new. Hmm. So first of all, explore it with yourself first. Um, and it may sound like really uh, overly simple, but it's not. For a lot of women, we are conditioned and socialized to put sexuality immediately onto our partners it doesn't mean that you can't have this but explore it for yourself first so explore self-touch for yourself i do this with my on my group programs i do this with my clients i'm sure i've got some something else that i do explore that with yourself go to a touch workshop um explore all the sensuality for yourself first because then you're at a more resource place to then say hey let's try that with your partner if it's you know, if you've never explored this or talked about it with your partner first, I would say go in gently and remember that if they immediately go, oh God, no, it doesn't mean that they don't love you. It doesn't mean that they're not open to it. It could just be, it could be a little bit anxiety provoking for them. 
So you could say something like, I'm really nervous to ask for this. And by saying that you, with that vulnerability and being authentic, rather than saying, right, let's do the sex and thing together. If you're nervous about it, say, I'm really nervous to ask you this. I've been anxious about it, but I really want to have more connection with you. I'm feeling a bit frustrated that sex isn't as um, fun as I'd like it to be. What do you think? How do you feel about that? And my guess is, is that if you are with somebody who really does care about you and they have your best interests and they'll be like, yeah, maybe I'd be open to trying that. And keep it as an invitation rather than we are doing the thing now, which can be really hard sometimes. to. And remember that if you're having difficulty, then reach out to a sex coach uh, or explore. There's many things you can explore together because remember, we don't learn this in school or anywhere, learning how to connect with each other and often having a third, part, say a third party, having someone there who's more neutral, it can help bring that, facilitate that with each other. There's no shame in needing help with sexuality. Hire a sex coach or a therapist or practitioner or to anything, just get help. You would pay for driving lessons. You pay to learn how to cook Italian food. You pay for a lovely holiday. Please think about, consider investing in your erotic happiness. It's perfect what you said. You know, it actually reminded me of a conversation I had yesterday. I was I was talking to somebody about what Pleasy Play is. So we are a service that uh, help couples become more intimate in a more fun way. So we have we send challenges via app. We send a box every two months, and it's just very sexy. Mm. And it's at your own pace because the challenges are sent according to question that they reply. So we know if you're a little bit kinkier, less kinkier, more vanilla. You know whatever you are, that's perfectly fine. And we adjust mm-hmm. the challenges in the toys. And uh, sorry, just a little bit of background. And I was talking to this person, they were telling me about their business. Or this was a man. I was telling him about, about mine. And his first answer, which is something that's very common was, oh, I've been married for a couple of years, but we don't, we still don't need it. And that's when I replied, oh do you know how to cook? He said, yeah, I cook well. I'm like, and would you say no to learning with a chef how to cook even better? Would you get mm. better at it? It's like, yeah, I would. But it's the same thing. We're not saying you're bad at it. No. We're saying, you know, could you make it even better? I know. But again, it's that, I, I might, that's a really good quotable thing. It's like, it's not, I think, I, I know that for a lot of people, it, it triggers that, that shame. It triggers that insecurity. What, you're telling me I'm not a good lover? And especially for men where, you know, cisgendered men, and it's very easy for when we're feminists to say, oh God, men. But they put a lot of their self-worth on their ability to satisfy their partner. And that's a really big thing a lot of men have. And, you know, we say that women don't talk about sex. Men don't really either in terms of, you know, they may talk about I banged her and I did this, but... They cut, there's not often a space for men to admit their vulnerability of actually I don't know and actually sometimes I don't want to have sex and I worry that I'm not enough for my partner because there's a lot of expectation on men to be the provider and to know everything and to be the initiator so by implying because they will take it as implication that they don't know what they're doing well, of course I know what I'm doing of course I do of course I do I'm brilliant I'm, and ugh, it, it's really frustrating but how do you get there? 
because I remember this when you were saying, you know, get to a point where you want to explore. How do you know that you actually want to explore or that by exploring, you might get something out of it? So that's a really good question. I would say if you're curious and that's it. If you're curious, just like, oh, maybe do I fancy Thai food tonight or do I fancy pizza? I really want to try that muffin place down the road. I wonder what that would be like. Oh, I'd love to try these new waffles. <laughs> if you're curious. And again, it's taking that, or, you know, for me, it's like, oh, there's a new accessory shop opening. I wonder what that's going to be like if I go in there. Or Again, it's, you don't have to be at any place. Um, and I would be start getting curious if you're listening to this and immediately thinking, oh God, I don't know if I do. Question that, gently question that. What are you most afraid of? What are you worried about? What are you, what do you think it says about you? Do you think that, or are you worried unconsciously that if you want to explore more sexy things, that that means that you don't know what you're doing and therefore you're a crap lover and da, 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 da. Explore that because it probably does, it may do that. The same with your partner. It depends it's not just about how open they are because I would say everybody is open-minded about different things. So can you play into that and normalize the experience for them? There's um, a colleague I have called oh, a man. He's a uh, Cam Fraser. He's a men's sex coach. There's lots of male sexuality professionals and female ones as well saying, look guys, you're not, there's no competition here. No one's saying you're bad in bed. We're just saying here's how to have even more fun. And, you know, a vibrator is not a competition for you. I saw this really awesome TikTok of a, a guy saying, look, sex toys and men, it's a two-person tag team where you're always going to win. The <laughs> vibrator does 80% of the work, but you're always going to get the credit for it. So <laughs> I love that. I have to see that TikTok. You can't lose. <laughs> I love it. So, <laughs> But it's, it's interesting. Yeah. No, no. The, the question was, was absolutely that because what I feel is that when people get to a point where they are frustrated with their sex life, it's so much harder to get it back. Mm. But if you, what I would love for people to hear is that they can try new things. It's, I love the comparison with food because mm. am I going to eat pasta and meatballs every night? I might love it, but is mm. it going to get boring after a week? Mm. or less why do i have to have the same sex position or the same sex sexual touches or the same type of kissing or whatever it is even if it's with the same partner mm. and that's that's okay unless you are polyamorous or or you're not in a relationship that's fine but even with the same person you can have different types of experiences right yeah and you can also have different experiences doing the same positions as well mm. depending on your emotional state depending on whether you how you connected beforehand yeah you can have sex you know there's nothing wrong with a quickie sometimes you just want to have a quickie and other times it can be slow and other times it, it can be like nurturing sex or makeup sex or comfort sex and sometimes you you're really pissed off at each other and so you take it out in the bedroom for example you can have all of these different kinds of sex and intimacy and it's just noticing how are you unconsciously blocking yourself from just having all of it. All of it. It's just not, what's it? There's no uh, time limit. There's no limit on how much pleasure and how much orgasms we can have and how many times we can touch each other or not. There isn't really a limit to that. So take sex and eros out of the concept of the bedroom and just have it something to play with. 
Brilliant. I love it. Before I ask you our closing question, which is something mm -hmm. that every guest answers, and it's always a different answer, which is which is amazing. I want to ask you for a specific tip that you have given in your uh, closed Facebook group, which is the Intimately Empowered Woman, mm -hmm. which I am part of. And if you're not and you're listening, go there. There are awesome tips. And you talked about a missing piece to make sex better. And that was shaking. Ah, yeah, shaking. See, I'm paying attention. Oh, hi, you, you, yeah, you follow. Well done. So, <laughs> shaking. Um, so that means shaking your body. Mm. Um, so, if again, this does come from it comes from lots of different places. You know, um, shaking is a practice that's used in qigong and lots of you know, say Eastern practices. I'm aware of practicing Orientalism. It's it's from many different body practices. And it's basically shaking. It helps move the lymphatic system. It helps stimulate blood flow. But also, especially when we hold a lot of tension in our bodies from being at our laptop all day, from somebody really pissed me off in the shop the other day, all of these things we store in the body and in the nervous system. So you may think, yeah, I'm relaxed, but your body's saying something completely different. So shaking is a really wonderful way of getting out of your head and into your body of, yeah, this is why I love movement different movement and dance practices because it's all of these ways of getting out of the head into the body out of the overthinking and into a felt sense um it's why i love doing different shaking and movement i do a lot of somatic practices for myself and with my clients because i have a lot of i think everyone struggles with the getting out of your head aspect the overthinking you know, with the anxiety and with the pandemic and all of the stress that we're under we all talk about stress Shaking is a very simple stress relieving tool. On a physiological level, it helps discharge some of the stress response. It can also help get you out of, it can help with feeling self-conscious. Yeah, they say a great dancer is also a great lover because you know how to work with your whole body and sex is something that happens in the body most of the time. So when you're shaking and I encourage people when I'm doing it on group programs or whatever, like let your inner seven-year-old out, like just really shake it, look ridiculous. If it feels silly, it means it's working. Like make yourself, allow yourself to look really silly, unglamorous, ungraceful, unsexy. Because then again, especially for for a lot of people who have been, you know, we're taught to look a certain way and be hypervigilant on our appearance then this helps to let go of some of that self-consciousness. And it's fun. And it's a stress reliever. Really good for stress relief. Is there like a secret to this shaking or is it literally just shaking your whole body however you want? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. <laughs> That's it. Um, it's basically, if it hurts, stop. Or be, you know, because everyone, everyone, also everyone has different levels of mobility and physical ability. If you have a physical impairment or some sort of chronic pain or, chronic fatigue go slower and go gentler there's always modifications don't if anything hurts stop um and imagine that you're trying to shake the flesh off your bones hmm. imagine that and have fun with it and play with it and in the same way that you know small children they play with movement can you do some of that it can help to if i can if i can lead you through certain things to explore like shaking different parts of the body that's it if it hurts stop Or if you experience any discomfort or any, if you're getting dizzy. So, you know, if you're on certain medication or if you have a health condition, trust, listen to your body on this. If it feels too much, then stop. 
and learn to regulate how much your body needs or wants. For sure. If you're connected to your body, you'll feel what's good enough and how to do it. And that's going to be perfect for yourself. Exactly. And just if you do have any pain or physical impairments, then there's ways you can work around it. You can do it sitting down. You can just try and shake a little part of your body. If one part, if you have part, a part of your body that's very stiff or locked, just go really gently around it. Or rather than shaking, just gently circle the wrists or go really slowly and gently. It's about falling. It's about letting go of stress. So maybe if shaking is too stimulating for you, I say this because I've had chronic fatigue syndrome for 17 years and I, you know, chronic illness is another interest of mine for some people it is too much so just do really gentle stretching and movement or um do it in a way that feels really doable for you and if it hurts or if it feels too much then just stop for sure so everybody i hope you're shaking around <laughs> thinking out of your mind moving it to your body i am for sure shaking while i'm talking uh lucy can can attest to that um, and now to have our closing question, we would love to know the secrets of how you keep your relationship open, exciting, and intimate. So give us some sexy tips for us to use. For my own personal relationship? If you can, we would love that. Otherwise, from your professional experience. Regular flirting and regular playing with each other, keeping it playful, keeping it bantery. You cannot underestimate how important it is to play and to joke with each other and to have flirtations with each other and to give regular compliments and all of these things, it adds up to feeling more like lovers and less like roommates or co-parents. The brain is the biggest sexual um, organ, right? The brain is a sexual organ and also it's keeping that connect. For a lot of people, if, you're, if you've lost the spark in your relationship or your marriage with each other, are you still telling each other that you're sexy? Do you find each other attractive still? Are you having that playfulness with each other? It's like, is the, where is the energy in your relationship? You know, is there that spark and not just a spark? Where is the energy in your relationship? And can you keep it like that rather than we only touch each other in bed? More touching as well. I, I love that tip. It's For me, humor is super important. And I'm mm -hmm. sure that for a lot of people as well. So where can everybody have these great tips, advice, and if they even want to have a consultation with you one-on-one, -on -one, I know you also have group settings, where can people find you? So you can contact me through my website, which is lucyrowett.com. I'm very active on the gram, Instagram, which is at Juice and Jasmine, or just look for Lucy Rowett uh, CSC on Instagram. I have my free Facebook group, The Intimately Empowered Woman. Um, I have, well, by the time this is released, we'll already be midway through a group program called The Shameless Woman. But I do do regular group programs for women. I may change in the future, but for now, this is for women and people involvers. Um, I have a a link I can send you where you can download a guide to sexual communication. So join my mailing list. Please join my mailing list because I'm a sex coach and social media does not like people who work with sex. I could be banned at any time because this is the world of social media. So please join my mailing list. <laughs> that way we can stay connected. Perfect, Lucy. You are a great guest. I think you gave us amazing tips. And if you want to learn more, please do follow Lucy. I am in her Facebook group, which is very eye-opening. I've learned a lot of things, especially the shaking parts. Hey. So yes, I, I can assure you you'll love Lucy. Thank you so much. It was, it was great having you. Thank you so much. And that was Intimacy Play. We hope you enjoyed it. 
To find out more about Pleasy and how we can take your relationship to the next level, visit pleasyplay.com. Then also make sure to search for Intimacy Play in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Pleasy, thank you for listening.